Amen. All right. Wow. Guys, I'm really excited. I always am, but especially today. We are launching into, everybody knows behind me, Miracle Month, right? I feel like this could be kind of a hokey thing. Like you could look at it and be like, this is nice. That's a nice sermon title. But the reality is I genuinely believe that God is opening up a window for us at this church to encounter the miraculous in your personal life over the next five weeks, which includes today, okay? So the reason why it's still February and Miracle Month is technically for March, but I'm talking about it today, is because starting March 1st, which we won't be together on that day, we're launching into this thing. So I want you guys to have a little bit of a heads up as we move into March so we don't miss even those first few days before next Sunday. Um, Basically, the gist of what this is, is I really feel like we were, Grant and I have been praying over the last couple weeks, Lord, what's on your heart? What's next for the church? Um, We knew the Essentials series he'd been doing was kind of wrapping up, and God dropped this idea into my mind, and I thought, that's a really kind of catchy thing. That sounds interesting, and I know that there are some specific needs in our church body, and I thought, this is cool. We could really, you know, I could get behind that, and We could see those things happen, and then as God would have it over the next five days, we encountered several things that we needed a miracle for in our own life, too. And I thought, you're up to something, Lord, (laughs) right? I could have looked at that and said, oh, my gosh, this is overwhelming. But instead, I'm looking at it as, this is totally a setup from you, God. You knew. You're just looking to show off. So that's what, and I genuinely believe that. I mean, that's not just hype talking, but I really believe we're walking into a season for that. So I want to give you a brief overview before we jump into the message for this morning about what the Miracle Month is going to be, okay? So over the next five, including today, the next five Sundays, we're going to be talking about a different miracle in the Bible and kind of unpacking it for us and how can you pull those principles into your own life to see that happen. We want you guys, if you have something that you need a breakthrough for, it may be a relationship that you have, a family member that needs to come to Jesus, it may be something in your finances, in your physical body, it may be a job, whatever it is that you need a breakthrough for, we want you guys to take March and say, God, I'm asking you and expecting you to come and do this for me now okay so when you come next Sunday we're going to have a little piece of the wall decorated we're going to give you guys a card to fill out what you're believing for if you're okay with it being a public thing you can stick the card on the wall if you're not you can take it home with you to put it in your uh, on your refrigerator or whatnot or you can fill out two if you want to have one at both locations so that while we're here on Sundays and we're worshiping we can be keeping that before us and saying Lord this is what we're believing for we want to come together as a church family and say you know what I might not feel like I have a physical or a personal need right now but I know that this person does and so I'm going to apply my faith for their issue for this month and see that miracle happen happen. Does that make sense? The other thing we're going to be doing, and Grant's going to talk a lot more about this next week, but we're going to be doing 21 days of fasting. So that's not necessarily a 21-day fast, although if you want to do that, you can. But we want to invite you to participate in some part of the 21 days of fasting with us. So that's going to happen. You can put that slide up there. That's going to happen March 6th through the 26th. Some ideas for you would be meats, sweets, tweets, social media, something that you know, you know, this is something I need to just set aside and use that time to focus on God and saying, Lord, I really am believing you to come through. So you can do a 21-day Daniel fast. Grant will talk more about that next week. You could do one week is this, one week is that. You could do something different every day. We don't really care. It's really about you before the Lord saying, God, what are you saying I need to do? I'll tell you, as I've been thinking about this for myself, I've been, uh, telling myself, because you know I love to preach to myself, Lord, I love you more than food. 
Jesus, I love you more than food, right? (laughs) Because every time I think about it, I'm like, gosh, that's a long time, (laughs) right? Even if you're just doing sweets or whatever, I love chocolate. I'm like, I love you, Jesus, more than I love chocolate. I really do, even though inside of me, I'm like, oh. So we want to invite you to do that. I'm actually believing for some pretty incredible things. At the end of March, we're going to celebrate just the different testimonies of what's happened, and it's going to be awesome. So you guys tracking with me? So that's Miracle Month. So we're going to launch into the first one this morning. We're going to be talking about the story of Blind Bartimaeus. And if you guys saw my video on Facebook, you already know that. But before we read the text, which you can put up there, you can put the first slide up there. Um, I'm not like Grant. I won't make you look it up in your own phone. I'll provide it for you. Uh, Mostly because I'm going to be using the Amplified. I know most people don't carry that with them. But we're going to read this story. And I want to kind of give you a little overview before we do. So don't read ahead yet. But this story of Bartimaeus being healed is found in three of the books of the Bible. It's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But weirdly, some of those accounts contradict each other. And we were talking about that this week, and I said, you know, I'm going to be really curious when I get to heaven to find out why there's two conflicting accounts of this story in the Bible. But there is, and for integrity's sake, I just want you to know that. So if you go looking through it and like, what is this? For example, uh, Mark is the only chapter that mentions Bartimaeus by name. And I think that that's probably because the church that Mark was writing to must have known who Bartimaeus was. So they were able to say, hey, this story is actually him, right? And he maybe was a part of that church, which would be even cooler. Um, The other two chapters, excuse me, the other two books don't mention Bartimaeus by name. One of them says there were two blind beggars healed. One of them says there was only one beggar. Some of the stories say this happened on the way into Jericho. Mark says it happened on the way out of Jericho. So there's some ambiguity about it, but we know that this happened because it's in three of the stories, in three of the books, right? So we're going to talk about that. The other cultural thing I want you guys to understand is Jericho is about 15 miles northeast of Jerusalem, okay? And this miracle took place the week-ish before Passover happened. So if you were an able-bodied Jew at the time, you were required to go to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And actually, in that time frame of the, the celebration of Passover, they say that the city would swell to sometimes up to 250,000 more people in the city preparing and taking part in the Passover, which, I mean, if you can just imagine more all of a sudden growing by 250,000 people for a week, it's crazy. When we were in Israel a couple weeks ago, um, a couple years ago, excuse me, I wish, uh, a couple years ago, we were, they were explaining how they would set up even ovens, and we'll talk about this closer to Easter, but they would set up ovens in the street, and you would sort of get there early to, like, section out, this is my family's corner where we're going to be preparing Passover. It's crazy, but if you can imagine 250,000 people coming into your city, you, you're going to have to be somewhere, right? So that's what's happening. Um, There's crowds passing through Jericho on the way into Jerusalem. And when I look at Jesus in this last week leading up to his, he knew he was going to the cross, right? He had already been talking about that. He knew that Jerusalem was his final destination. And I see it as like he starts having laser-like focus on what he came to do. When I read those stories in the Gospels right before the cross, it's like he's very intentional in every single thing that he does. And he also started fulfilling a lot of prophetic words that have been spoken the hundred years beforehand. So I love that Bartimaeus is actually the last compassion miracle before the cross. 
The only other miracle that Jesus did was when Peter chopped the Roman soldier's ear off and Jesus had to do the undo button, right? Sorry, that wasn't supposed to happen. Let me stick that back on there for you. But Bartimaeus was the last miracle of Jesus' ministry in a sense, if you want to look at it like that. And what I hope you guys will see from this morning is in some ways Jesus saved the best for last. And there's things about Bartimaeus that will really help us. So um, the last thing I want to mention before we get into the actual text is Zacchaeus, you guys know the story of little wee Zacchaeus, he was transformed in Jericho at the same time of Bartimaeus. So we don't know if Bartimaeus was healed before Jesus went into Jericho, that would be before Zacchaeus. If he was healed after Jericho, that would be after Zacchaeus. But the whole city that Bartimaeus was living in had just had a major revitalization by Jesus. If you can imagine your mayor, our mayor, stealing from you knowingly, and everybody knows it, but nobody can do anything about it, right? We know our justice system isn't perfect, but the justice system in this day and age was awful. There was really not much help for you at all. And so all of these people had been being stolen from by Zacchaeus, and Jesus comes in, and in one encounter, in one day, Zacchaeus is so revolutionized, so transformed, that he goes and pays back everybody that he's been stealing from. You can imagine the buzz in the city of like, well, why did he do that now of all times? Oh, it was Jesus. And in the same time frame, Bartimaeus has his healing. So just some couple context before we read it. So here we go. Mark 10, 46 through 52. It says, then they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, that's Jesus, obviously, and a large crowd, a blind beggar, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road, as was his custom. When Bartimaeus heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly rebuked him, telling him to keep still and be quiet. But he kept on shouting all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. You can go to the next one. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called the blind man, telling him, Take courage, get up, he's calling for you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Rabbi, my master, let me regain my sight. Jesus said to him, go, your faith and confident trust in my power has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and began following Jesus down the road. Such a great story. Okay, you can go to the first uh, slide. I want to take a second to somehow help you visualize this story maybe in a fresh way today, okay? So here's what we have. Like I said, they're coming out of Jericho. This is Jesus' last rest stop. The next stop is Jerusalem. This is his death row march, right? Jesus knows this. I don't know about you, but if it was me on my death row march, I'd be like, where is the four-star hotel? Because I can't take any of this money with me, so let me have a nice, give me a nice bed, some, you know, uh, uh, watch a movie in the room, order some chocolate, whatever. That would be what I've been thinking, like, let me store up because I'm about to go to the cross and this is going to be really hard. But that's not what's on Jesus' mind, right? So he's passing out of Jericho. He's going into Jerusalem. There's about 15-mile journey ahead of him. And there's a large crowd. Now, when I was in high school, I used to take these youth choir tours. We had about 50, 75 students in our youth ministry, and we'd load up on Greyhound buses and travel around the country and sing songs at churches. It's a really weird concept, but it happened. And um, so when we would take a pit stop at these trips, out of these buses would unfurl 50 teenagers and a handful of adults into McDonald's or the gas station. If you've ever traveled in a large crowd like that, you know, first of all, it's not quiet 
right? These weren't monks walking down the road in silence so that Bartimaeus didn't have to be very loud. This was a loud, lively bunch of people. We know the disciples liked to party, and they were just jovial people in general, right? So imagine for a second, here's Bartimaeus sitting on the side of the road as he did, because he's a beggar, right? And through, as the Passover was happening, all these people are passing through Jericho to get to Jerusalem. So he's used to hearing the crowds. And what did the sound of a crowd mean to him? It's a payday, right? Now, at this time, if you were a legitimate disabled person, then the synagogue or the rulers of that area would give you a specific cloak. It was like a handicap sticker in your car that verified that you can beg because you have no other way to get money. Okay, so this cloak that he's wearing, that's what this was. It was like his welfare card. It was like his, this, this is my, I have confidence from the government that, you know, you can give me money. And he couldn't see, right? That's an obvious one. But if you can picture for a second being blind all of your life, you have to rely on any time you hear a crowd, that's the moment that you have to start begging, because otherwise you'd probably go hoarse just shouting out, is anyone here to give me money? <laughs> right? And if you hear a large crowd, even better, even more exciting, because you would have more help for that. The cloak was really significant for Bartimaeus because it would have been how he stayed warm at night as well, okay? So this is like his livelihood is really wrapped up into this coat that he had. So he's sitting on the side of the road, as was his custom, and he's sitting with his other beggar friends, and they're like, this is a great moment. Here's this large crowd heading in. And you can imagine it's Passover was a little bit like how we treat Christmas. There was a lot of buzz and expectation, and it was a, it's a very spiritual time. So I imagine people might be a little bit more compassionate around Passover time than they would be in a general day, right? So there's ex expectation in these beggars to seize this moment. And so then it says, when Bartimaeus heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, son of David, have mercy on me. This is really interesting. At this point in time, in the context of this culture, there was a couple different ideas going around about who Jesus was, but the son of David was not one of them. One of the things people thought Jesus was was a rabbi, right, a teacher, and that he had inspired thoughts that would help you live a better life. That's what we, you know, we'd say, oh, this person, talk to me, help me understand this better, and I'm going to use those principles to better my life. But it wasn't necessarily like you are someone that needs to be exalted. So some people thought Jesus was a rabbi. They would follow him and listen to his teachings. The other thing that was out there was Jesus was a prophet. And he, people recognized that he was sent by God, that he had the power of God, that he was working miracles on God's behalf and speaking things on God's behalf, but not that he was God, right? And we know just a short time before this, Peter had the revelation, Jesus, you are the son of God on the Mount of Transfiguration. And Jesus is like, whoa, only God could have revealed that to you. This idea that Jesus was the Messiah was not common. It wasn't something that Bartimaeus could have caught on the rumor mill going around, right? So here's what I think. I'm just going to suggest this. I don't have any proof of this. I think Bartimaeus had been hearing the stories of Jesus. I think he'd been hearing the testimonies because now we're at the end. Jesus has been in ministry for three years. I think word had been spreading, and Bartimaeus had heard of the different blind people who'd been healed. He'd heard of the different miracles. And in his own heart, he'd been piecing it together. This person isn't just a rabbi. This person isn't just a prophet. This person has to be the Messiah. The, they knew because the text had said that the Messiah was going to come from the line of David. Okay, so that's what it says when it says son of David. It's talking about King David, and it was prophesied that the Messiah would be from his line. Fascinatingly enough, Joseph, Jesus' dad, 
earthly dad, is in the line of David. It had been passed so far that it wasn't something people would talk about, you know. It's kind of like when you do those quizzes on Facebook that's like, do you have any royal blood in you? And you can trace it back and it means nothing because we're so far past that point, but it's just kind of interesting to know. This is sort of what Joseph's uh, connection to David would have been like. It wasn't something that was revered and recognized. But if you were paying attention, then you could know oh, Jesus actually found himself in this lineage of the son of David. So Bartimaeus is putting these things together. You're not just a rabbi. You're not just a prophet. You are the Messiah. And I think at some point before this moment, he had had this revelation in his heart. So here he is. He has one, uh, one way of life that he's lived for a long time, right? And it's total dependence on other people. He has no self-dignity. And the other thing about beggars in this day and age, even though they were certified to beg, they were looked at with serious judgment most of the time. And a lot of the times, the people would think, your parents sinned in some great way, which is what made you be born with this disability, which we know is not how God works. But at that time, that was a common belief. So if you were a beggar, you were not someone who was respected. You might be pitied, but you didn't have respect. So here's Bartimaeus living his whole life like this, and he has this moment. He's sitting there just catching Passover coins, right, on their way as they go by. And he hears this crowd, and I'm sure they're like, do you know who it is? What do they look like? Because they weren't all blind beggars sitting there, obviously. And somebody says to him, oh, it's Jesus of Nazareth. And instantly in Bartimaeus, something in his revelation of who he knows God to be connects with his desperation for a miracle. And he's like, this is the moment. And instantaneously, he starts proclaiming out, Jesus, son of David, meaning I know you're the Messiah, right? And he goes, have mercy on me. Now we can read this and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me and missed that this was a very personal moment for Bartimaeus. He was, in a sense, unveiling the most vulnerable part of his soul, right? In this crowd of all these people, God, can you see me? I can't even see you. I just hear that you're there, right? And so he's shouting, have mercy on me. And the beggars around him are like, oh my gosh, hush, (laughs) quit doing that, right? Don't draw attention to us. We don't want to be, because I think if they had all been outcasts, like send those people away, they'd miss their payday, right? So you can look at this next, uh, the epitomio slide. This word rebuke, that it says they they rebuked him, the Greek is actually epitomio, and this is what it means. To command with the implication of a threat. So Bartimaeus is shouting out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And around them, they're like, shh, stop it. Right? If you've ever been threatened, you know. It's like, you know, sorry, what I do to you? The interesting thing is every time this word is used in the New Testament, it actually applies to someone who did nothing wrong. But that other people around them just took it upon themselves to be the grammar police, for lack of a better word. Right? And this implication of this threat is like, if you don't shut up, I'm going to make you shut up. Like, you are ruining this for all of us, right? It's the mom's angry eyes in the grocery store, you know? You know that look. I was sitting at the table with my kids the other night, and I was, it's, it had been a long day, and I was a little bit stressed. And I, Grant was trying to say, tell me something that I needed to hear the information about. And one of my kids was just being really loud, and I said, <laughs> I said, could you please just be quiet just while he's talking? And in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, the words, please just be quiet while he's talking, right? But the stress had transformed 
this part of my face to say something different. And they all looked at me with these really big eyes, and I thought, what's the big deal? Just be quiet, you know? And Eli looked at me, and he goes, it's not the words, Mom, but it's the look on your face. <laughs> and I said, okay, thank you. I appreciate that. And so I changed the expression of my face, and I said, guys, please, would you please be quiet? You know, we had a big laugh about it. But that's kind of what this is, right? It's like there's a panic that causes them to jump onto Bartimaeus and shush him. You don't get to say this. So go back to the first Mark slide. So they rebuke him. But then he starts shouting all the more. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's like, I am not going to miss this moment. I may never have it again. Think about this for a second. Bartimaeus could easily have said, I'll just catch him when he comes back through Jericho. He didn't know Jesus was going to die in a matter of days, right? And so his desperation and met the revelation of who he knew God was, and he just said, this is my moment. I have to seize it right now. If he had listened to the threats, the empty threats, what would have happened? He would have missed it, and he would have missed it completely because Jesus was not coming back through Jericho, right? And I wondered as I was preparing this, and, and God was starting to show this to me in, in this passage, and I thought to myself, how many moments have I missed with God because I let someone shush me? An empty threat of a shush, really. And then I started thinking the reality is most of our epitomio moments are all in our heads, a lot of them aren't even real people telling us to do this or do that. A lot of them are just our own perception of what's acceptable and how we're supposed to interact with God that tells us, uh, I'll catch you on the flip side, Jesus. When you come back around at the next conference, I'll, I'll, I'll get up the guts to do it then, right? Not Bartimaeus. He was like, this is my shot. And if I miss this moment, I may never have it again. And so he just keeps shouting, have mercy on me. And he makes it personal. And he's sitting in a row of beggars. So he's not saying, Jesus, all of us need your help. He's like, screw you guys. I need you, God. Right? And so then what happens the next part? You go to the next one, buddy. Jesus stopped and said, call him. Again, Jesus makes it personal. I just love that, man. Bartimaeus could have said, we all need you. Can't you see we're all beggars? We're all miserable people. But he's like, no, I need you, Jesus. And Jesus goes, that one, call him. And he calls him out of the crowd, and these people who had been rebuking him totally turn around, and they become his biggest fans, right? They're trying to ride the coattails of, of his life right now, and they're like, you know, take courage. Get up. He's calling for you. This is your moment, <laughs> When two seconds ago, they were like, don't you ruin this for me. Isn't that amazing about people? It's like everywhere we, in whatever season of life you're in, I should put it that way, we always have that one person who only wants us to do this until it works for us, and then they want to ride on the success that your desperation brought you in with the Lord, right? It's a sermon for another time. Anyways, so Bartimaeus, he gets up. Jesus calls him personally. Now, this is what's crazy. He throws his cloak aside. Jesus knows he's blind, right? He's already seen him. He's already seen that he's wearing the cloak. And so why did Bartimaeus need to do that? He wasn't trying to impress Jesus. I think he was saying, I need nothing else but you. Now, here's what's wild. If you think about it in the context of Zacchaeus, okay, Zacchaeus has just been transformed. Like his life has been given purpose and vision like nobody could imagine. 
And Bartimaeus probably heard that story. And so I don't even think he cared. And I could be wrong. But I doubt he cared if he actually got his sight. He just knew, I need to have an encounter with this person because I'm going to leave changed forever. He's going to do something for me that I've been looking for my whole life right? And so he throws his cloak aside because even if I don't get healed, I'm not going to be dependent upon other people anymore. All I need is this one encounter with Jesus. Oh, I love it. It stirs me up so much. So he throws his cloak aside and he comes running to Jesus. Can I just push pause to say, have you ever seen a blind person run? It's not an intuitive thing for them, right? So here's this large crowd of people. He's having to make a fool out of himself, Think about it. He's having to be so loud to catch the attention of Jesus, who was probably in the middle of the crowd, and then he takes off running, Lord knows how, right? And I imagine other people are trying to, like, help him get there because they don't know what's going to happen. They just know something amazing is about to happen because Jesus called him. Oh, gets me excited. Okay, so he gets there, and then Jesus does the craziest thing, guys. This is God who knows all things, and he goes, what do you want me to do for you? people he knows what you need but he still asks why I think this is one of the most beautiful aspects of free will Jesus gives you your dignity to decide what you want from him I don't get it I mean this is kind of how parenting is right I I want my kids to say mom whatever you think is the best I will do that with the happiest heart ever but we all know that's not really how it works (laughs) right? Maybe once a month, one day, one moment a month, they might say, mom, you know, like yesterday, my son said, mom, you just decide what you want me to have for lunch. And I thought, record this moment. This is amazing. But Jesus, he gives us free will and he gives us permission to interact with him however you want to. He does not assume that you want what he knows you probably need. It's crazy, right? could see your wheels spinning and that's okay they should spin that mine were spinning and have been spinning because you know lord you know what we need you know what's at the what the turning point will be for each and every one of us and yet in your infinite love for us you give us permission to involve you however we see best now the other thing about jesus is you know sometimes he adds on extra bonuses right if you guys are were here uh was it like a year ago maybe Kristen was getting prayer for her wrist and ends up with her blind eye being healed. It was a bonus miracle, right? It wasn't what she was going for. It wasn't really what she was asking for. But Jesus goes, oh, and I'll give you that. And I think that's what would have happened with Bartimaeus. No matter what he asked for, he probably was going to walk away with his sight, right? Because Jesus knew that too. But that's what's so beautiful about our God is that he says, listen, I value you as your own person so much that I'm going to let you interact with me about what you need. So he says, what is it that you need? What do you want? And the blind man says to him, Master, Rabbi, let me regain my sight. It's like, I, I imagine if some of the other disciples, if I was one of them, I'd be like, I roll, obviously right? We all knew that was coming, right? But Jesus, I just, when I picture the story in my imagination, I just see him like waiting with this just expectation of whatever you ask me for, I'm going to do, and it's going to be awesome. And if he had said, you know what? I hurt my foot. (laughs) I had an ingrown toenail I just can't get out of, and I can't move around the city, you know? And Jesus would go, okay, let me, it's like so simple, 
But Jesus, I think he would have done that. He was just ready. Like, I see the desperation in your heart. I see the revelation of who you know me to be. And it's drawing something out of me. Jesus is like, it's making me have to stop what I'm doing and turn and call you to me to give you what you need, to give you what you want. And so then he says, Jesus says to him, go, your faith has made you well. There was no prayer that happened here, right? There wasn't a three times, let me try it out. I mean, there are other stories in the Bible where Jesus had to pray and pray again. Thank God, because I think we'd all be like, when we're on our journey of trying to see people healed, you know, we have to pray nine times, ten times, and that is frustrating sometimes. So thankfully, Jesus didn't get it the first time all the way around. I think he modeled that for us really well. But in this moment, something else was happening here. And this is what I want you guys to catch. Bartimaeus had had a revelation of who God is. Okay, his revelation had called him to a standard of thinking that was higher than the typical thought of the day. He also had a serious need, right? And in this moment, on this special day, on the gates of Jericho, those two came together and they caused this, I'm going to use the word, cataclysmic supernatural event, right? Because that's really probably what was happening. His desperation and his revelation draw together, and it started pulling heaven down to earth. Think about it. This was not a prayer ministry time like Jesus had been doing in other, other times of his life. He had often stopped and been like, who's sick? Let's do it. Go down the line, right? But no, he was on his way somewhere, but he had to stop because he was compelled and we see this happen in other, in other stories in the New Testament. The woman with the issue of blood, just as one to, to say. Jesus is on his way somewhere, but her faith and her desperation drew him to have to change course, so to speak, to meet him. So there's something about when we say, I know you are this God. Even if I'm not experiencing that of you in my life right now, I know it's who you are. And when we allow that to be our revelation of who God is, man, we're set up. We're set up for a miracle in our own lives. A couple years ago, uh, I had, uh, some of you guys know most of the story, but I had a tumor on my thyroid that the doctor had found. And because I was 29 and we didn't know how fast it had grown, they were all freaking out about it. And I was like, it's fine. It's not that big of a deal. But when you have multiple doctors telling you all these crazy things, it kind of does something to your brain. You start going, okay, maybe I do have something really wrong. And, um, and so over the course of a few months, we did a biopsy. It came back good, but the doctor basically said, the tumor is so big that there's no way we'll know if it's cancerous or not. I really think you should have it taken out. And I'm thinking, I don't want to have this surgery where they're going to cut me open on my neck and cut right next to my vocal box. <laughs> you know, it's a very delicate surgery, and there's a lot of really bad things that can happen if it goes wrong. And I'm just thinking, well, what's the other option? And the doctor said, well, the other option is every six months you can come back and have it retested. And I'm like, that's not really an option, <laughs> right? That sounds terrible. And so I went through this process of laying out before God and saying, God, I need a miracle like now. I don't want to do this surgery. I want you to come and heal me. I have seen you heal scoliosis. I've seen legs grow out. I've seen crazy stuff happen. So now it's my turn. Heal me, right? And we prayed and we fasted and we went to prayer lines and we did everything that we could do. And a month goes by, two months goes by, and I'm still not healed. And I remember having this just wrestling in my heart of saying, am I still going to acknowledge you as a healer if you don't heal me? Am I, Lord? 
And it became extremely personal. And that's the crazy thing about miracles, right? Is that we don't want to talk about our need for them because they're usually this tucked away vulnerable place of our heart where it's like, Lord, I know you see this in me, but I don't want anybody else to see it because it's scary. And it is. And I've been there, you know, sitting before God. I remember this one moment where I said, Jesus, if you could just be here in the flesh, you could just touch my neck and it would all be over. And then he said to me, but it's greater for me to go. And I was, I could have turned the table over. You know, I was so mad. What do you mean it's greater for you to go? I'm not experiencing the greater in my life right now. And I got a hold of this book called Kisses from a Good God, which is the story of a man with prostate cancer that got healed through modern medicine. And he's from a church that sees healings of cancer all the time. And it was a very just timely word for me to look at all the different ways that God heals because it's not always supernatural. But I had been going on this journey of learning about healing and I wanted to see God do that for me. I didn't want to go the medicine route. And so one of the things that he said he had to realize that just wrecked me, and I'll never forget this phrase, and he said it like this, I had to decide that God is still a healer even if he doesn't heal me. I could decide, Lord, you're still a healer of everyone else, even though you didn't heal me, which means you don't want to heal me, right? Sometimes we twist the truth just that much, and it becomes like that tiny little spider web in the back corner of your house hallway. I don't know if you guys have those, where you don't deal with it, and then the spider somehow has spidey babies, and then you have an infestation, and you're like, I just wish I would have cleaned that one thing out, you know? It's never happened to me, but... But that's what disappointment can do. It becomes this little, just this teeny tiny dark hole that opens up this door in our heart that causes us to question everything of who God is to me. I can believe it for you, but do I believe it for me? Right? And it's hard. It's really hard. So in that moment, I ended up uh, having an encounter with God where he told me, uh, lovingly, Rachel, what's coming against you with all of this thyroid stuff is bigger than you have the revelation to overcome. And then he said, I'm not going to send you into a battle you can't win. So I said the natural response, which was, well, God, give me the revelation. You have all things. Just give me a little download. Win-win, right? And he said, if you want the revelation, you have to have the surgery. Lord, are you kidding me? And it was a very agonizing moment for me because there was just a lot of, it was just a scary thing. So I had the surgery, ended up getting a major infection from the surgery, had to have another surgery. The whole thing that was supposed to take a seven-day recovery was about two and a half months. And at the end of it all, I discovered something about God I genuinely don't think I could have gotten any other way. I hope for you that you don't have to get that revelation in the same way. But for whatever reason, that's how God had set it apart for me. Now, if I had come from that experience and said, God, you are a healer, but you're not a supernatural healer to me, then I would have closed this little tiny door in my heart. And I could have functioned in a church setting totally fine, just making sure I don't ask for prayer for myself because God doesn't do that for me, right? So fast forward a couple years, this summer I'm pregnant with Grace, and I ended up with this really terrible back situation that was weird, and I couldn't walk, I couldn't sit, and I really couldn't lay down. So that's not really any other options that are pain-free, right? And so about two weeks goes by, I go see my doctor, a third week goes by, nothing is helping, like even medicines aren't helping, and I'm just going, what in the world? So I'm asking God, what's going on with this? God had told us to go on this vacation to Disney World that was coming up in like two weeks from this time, and I'm trying to picture how I'm going to get my three kids through Disney World while I can hardly stand up, 
So then Grant says lovingly, this is a person's dream to have to have the motorized scooter through Disney World. <laughs> he was like, isn't this what people live for? <laughs> and I'm like, I love your positivity, but no, I don't want to be the person in the chair because I can't ride any rides and any of that. And we were driving, it's a 20 hour drive. So I felt very strongly that I heard the Lord say, I am going to heal you of this. So I'm counting down the days, like at what point, Lord, are you gonna heal me of this? Before the trip, after the trip, you know? And uh, the Monday rolls around of we're leaving on Thursday for the trip and I'm sweating it. And I'm, so I'm buying like braces and I'm buying all these different things, trying to figure out how I'm gonna enjoy this vacation before we have a baby for a long time. And, and so, uh, <laughs> This is hilarious. So I, I hear the Lord say to me on Monday of this day, one of your legs is shorter than the other. <clears throat> and I said, God, that's not true. <laughs> because it wasn't true, right? Over the course of my life, that wasn't true. I've actually been able to pray for people and seen three legs grow out. So I, I knew something about how that works and how sometimes you can have your legs be the same length, but something happens in your back and your hip can twist out of place and so they can be different. And I thought, well, maybe that's what's happened, right? But I'm thinking to myself, you're gonna have to confirm that because what in the world? So two days go by, it's Wednesday, guys, we're leaving on Thursday. And I, at this point, had given up hope, right? I was really wrestling with that. I know you're a healer, but are you a healer of me feeling? And the Lord's, um, we come to prayer on that Wednesday night before we're leaving the next morning, and uh, a person that was there said, I have a word of knowledge for somebody with a back pain. And the way he described it was not what I had, so I'm like, oh, sad tear, you know. And I'm looking around the room, and nobody else rose their hand, so I'm, I go, well, it must be me, because I have this terrible back, and I'm leaving in the morning on this dream vacation that I can't do, you know. And so we prayed. He said, I feel like God says one of your legs is shorter than the other. Now, I... I don't think I would have even believed him had God not put this thought in my head two days before. This is just how intentional Jesus is, right? He knows how your brain works. And the way my brain works is that's not true. So, I mean, I guess we could try, but it's probably not true, right? But something stirred in my faith because I had just had this thought two days before. So he said, can you sit down? Can we measure your legs? I said, sure. So I sit down right here on the chair and put my legs out. And sure enough, one of them is way shorter than the other. And I'm like, before I can even formulate the puzzled what the heck? My leg grew out. Nobody prayed for it. It was like, I'm looking at it going, how about that? It is shorter. And I felt this surge of Holy Spirit presence. And it was like, and we all just kind of go. <laughs> and the guy who was holding my feet was like, I hadn't even started praying yet. And I'm like, me neither. I was still trying to process the fact that it ended up being true. And so my back pain, which was at like an eight, I mean, I could hardly even make myself stand up to walk over to the word of knowledge, okay? It was at an eight or a nine, was down to like a three or a four instantaneously in one moment. And over the course of the next several days, I ended up being basically totally healed. I only had one sad moment of my back on our whole Disney trip, which really was about probably overextending myself more than anything else. So God became the healer of my body three years past when I was begging him to be the healer of my body. And here's the crazy thing is that, and I want to say this, and I'm not trying to offend you, but I am trying to challenge how you think, okay? So just if you need it, put your seatbelt on, we're going to be okay. But if we decide today what I've experienced about you, God, is all I'm going to give you permission to do, then we're going to miss out on who God wants to be. Does that make sense? God wants to consistently surprise you. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And one of the ways he's the same is that he's really unpredictable. 
It's like, well, I can count on that, Lord. You're going to be surprising me. I want to live 20 years from now experiencing something I never knew from God. When I'm on my deathbed, I want to be surprised by something of God that I didn't know I had, you know, I'd never experienced of him before. So we run this risk of this arrogant line when we say, well, you haven't been this for me yet, Lord, so you're not going to be. And then we close that little door, that tiny door of disappointment, and it ends up becoming this barricaded wall that keeps us back from who God wants to be for you. I'll be honest, for a long time, I'd really wanted to have a supernatural healing in my own body. I mean, I didn't really want the issue to get the healing, but just having seen so many healings, I just thought this would be so cool to experience it for myself, you know? And so when everything with my thyroid came up, I was like, this is my moment. This is going to be awesome. And then it wasn't. And then I've had multiple things since then. This could be my moment, and then it wasn't. And then the day before I drive 20 hours to Disney World, Lord only knows why, that was the moment in the most bizarre and, like, unglamorous way possible because that's who God is to me sometimes. And so I just want to challenge you as we go into this miracle month, as we go into this season of believing God for something that's very personal to you, first of all, I want to recognize we know it's personal. We know we're asking you to go to a place that can be painful. But what I want you to do is say, you know what, God, even if you don't do it exactly like I'm asking you to do it, in the context of March 2017. I'm believing that I'm planting seeds that you're going to reap into my life at some point. There was something even in January as I was processing uh, one of my times with the Lord, and I thought, you know what, Lord, I've never seen you be this to me. I've always wanted you to be this. I know this is who you are, but I've never seen you be it to me. And so I said, you know what, that's what I'm going to purpose myself for 2017 is to contend to see you be this part of who you are, this characteristic of God, to see that come to pass in my own life. So now, two months later, I have like the teeny tiniest little sproutlet coming out of the soil. You know when you're growing grass like in the elementary experiment and you're like, I think I see something. And it may be nothing. It may be the white thing in the soil, not actually the seed, but it looks like it, so you get excited. That's kind of how I feel right now in my life with this. I'm like, maybe this is that, maybe this is that, right? And so I'm pouring more water on it and continuing to contend and continuing to believe and to pray and to ask God. But you know what? If it doesn't sprout in 2017, that doesn't mean God isn't going to sprout that plant. It just means he didn't sprout it in 2017 right? So when we look at what Bartimaeus, the experience that he had, what I love about it is that he knew, God, you are a miracle-working God. You are the Messiah. I don't know if you'll do it for me, but will you? His question wasn't, could you? His question wasn't, can you help me believe? His question, it wasn't a question. It was, I know this is who you are. Can you call my name? right? And whatever I experience from you, I'm going to leave transformed. And you know what he did? It says then he joined, the last line of that verse is that he joined Jesus down the road. So if they were really leaving Jericho, that means he probably got to watch Jesus ride into Jerusalem fulfilling an incredible prophetic word on the donkey with all the cloaks being laid down. So here's a man who was, had a miserable life and in one act of desperation and revelation, set him up for this miracle that gave him vision forever. We know that he took this miracle and ran with it because Mark calls him by name, right? Like we talked about that, that Mark knew, and he probably was a part of this church, which gets me so excited because Bartimaeus did something with his healing. Not everybody that received a miracle from Jesus did something about it. 
If you read through the New Testament, it's surprising how many people received something from God and it did seemingly nothing in their life. But then there's those of us who are going, if you just do this, Lord, I really need you to do this, right? And so that's what March is all about. I really just want to challenge you. Jump in wholehearted, headfirst with us and, and be willing to process out those dark little spidey corners in the back of the hallway. You're not going to have it all fixed in the next five weeks. But that's a good thing because God is setting you up for another surprise down the road. Does that make sense? So I want to pray for you guys, and I, I really just want to challenge you. Let's let the desperation of our heart manifest somehow. I'm not necessarily talking about in worship or in church on Sunday morning, but even in your time with the Lord, in the car, in, in your private time, whatever, being able to say, Lord, I am laying this down before you. Next, You can write it down before then, but next week when we write it out on these papers, this is the miracle that I need you to do, God. I'm in a tough spot. There might be other ways that you could have this fixed, but ultimately, Lord, whatever you decide for it is going to be the best, and it's probably going to have that added bonus miracle on top of it too, right? Because Jesus is just that good. So, all right, let me pray. Lord, I just thank you for this season of miracles that you are launching us into, and Lord, I boldly proclaim, and, and not just proclaim, but I boldly partner with you that you are going to meet some serious needs over the next five weeks. So we just invite the ministering and warring and powerful angels of the Lord to come alongside of us to see these things come into fruition in our life. Lord, we dedicate this month of March to watching you show yourself off. Lord, we dedicate the month of March to saying, Lord, help us connect who you are, the revelation of who you are, with the desperation that's in our heart, and, and to pull heaven down to earth. So Lord, we just thank you that you are already doing this, that you are already setting it up. And we look forward with expectation to the testimonies that are going to come over these next few weeks. In Jesus' name, would you bless everybody? Would you help them hear from you? Um, wisdom, clarity, and direction on how they need to position themselves over the next few weeks. And, uh, and Lord, we just ask for the best times with you in the next few weeks. In Jesus' name. Amen.